I have to take issue with the people who did the lectionary in today's gospel because they left off one sentence in the gospel reading today that completes the pericope. A pericope is a division of scripture. It's a unit. And there's one more sentence to this unit before the gears shift and we go into another story. The last sentence that's meant to follow Pilate first asking Jesus, so you are a king? And Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And then Pilate asks, what is truth? That's where the story ends. Has that been a question of humanity for all time? Sounds like a very contemporary question if you ask me. What is truth? It's something that people debate. And here it is that Pilate is asking that very question of Jesus right after he says, I came to testify to the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says, well, what is truth? Pilate approaches truth like any one of us, I would dare say, do as well, which is one of the reasons Jesus is so hard to understand or to comprehend in his teaching. Often we understand truth to be objective. It's something out there. It sits on a shelf and remains constant at all times, no matter what. We think of truth in scientific means or mathematical terms, something that can be measured and clarified and identified. And I'm not saying that that is not a way to understand it, but it's not the way Jesus understands himself. A better question Jesus might suggest to Pilate is, who is truth? In Parker Palmer's little book, To Know As We Are Known, Education as a Spiritual Journey, he takes up this very passage of scripture, identifying or acknowledging Pilate's irrelevant question to Jesus. And Parker Palmer says, or, or identifies that Jesus is the truth, and you can only know Jesus in relationship, which is part of the reason it makes it hard to tell people about Jesus. Maybe you found this in your own life when you have talked about who Jesus is or why Jesus or something like that to even a very curious person who wants to understand from you about this Jesus. And it is hard to comprehend the truth that is Jesus when you stand outside of that relationship. It's only in relationship to Jesus that we begin to understand the truth of which Jesus is and of what he speaks. So in Parker Palmer's book, he takes this matter up and shares with us that truth has the same root word in German as our English word troth. Troth is not a word that we use very much. It used to be the ways in which wedding vows were said. I pledge thee my troth. Troth is to make a covenant with another. A pledge to engage in a mutually accountable and transforming relationship. A relationship forged of trust and faith in the face of unknowable risks. Palmer goes on to say, we find truth by pledging our troth. 
and knowing becomes a reunion of separated beings whose primary bond is not of logic, but of love. A bond whose primary bond is not of logic, but of love. So no wonder Pilate doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. When he asks him, so you are a king? Jesus says, will you say that I am? But my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my followers would be working to save me. Because when a kingdom of this, is of this world, that's what the followers do. And you notice earlier in this dialogue between the two of them, when Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? He is trying to find out from Pilate, are you open to this covenant relationship of accountability and transformation? Did something happen in you that makes you want to respond to me as king? Or did others point to me and say, that's the king of the Jews, thus permitting you to keep me as an object distant from yourself? One of the primary things we must remember on this Christ the King Sunday is that Jesus is known in relationship and the truth is revealed in relationship. The second thing to remember is that the kingdom of God turns empire on its head. And Pilate's dialogue with Jesus shows evidence of that. The sheer confusion of what is Jesus talking about as Pilate operates from an understanding of the Roman Empire. I mentioned a book by Brian McLaren last week, and I want to refer to it again today. In his book, Everything Must Change, When the World's Biggest Problems and Jesus' Good News Collide. That's the subtitle. McLaren writes, The empire uses crosses to punish rebels and instill fear and submission in the oppressed. Jesus will use the cross to expose the cruelty and injustice of those in power and instill hope and confidence in the oppressed. The very same tool is used differently. A first piece of evidence of how Jesus' reign is different than the empires that any of us have ever known. Where the Romans use it to instill fear and submission to the oppressed, Jesus uses it to instill hope and confidence in the oppressed. The phrase, McLaren goes on to say, the phrase kingdom of God on Jesus' lips then means almost the opposite of what an American like me, McLaren is talking about himself, might assume living in the riches in the most powerful nation on earth. To a citizen of Western civilization like me, McLaren writes, kingdom language suggests order, stability, government, policy, domination, control, maybe even vengeance on rebels and threats of banishment for the uncooperative. McLaren's book, Everything Must Change, was published in 2007. So it was written in 2005 and 2006. I think that's important to hear because it's way before all of the news that feels most present to us. He goes on to say, On Jesus' lips, those words describe Caesar's kingdom. God's kingdom turns all of those associations upside down. In Jesus' kingdom, order becomes opportunity. 
Stability melts into movement and change. Status quo government gives way to a revolution of community and neighborliness. Policy bows to love. Domination descends to service and sacrifice. Control morphs into influence and inspiration. Vengeance and threats are transformed into forgiveness and blessing. I note that every empire works to keep its control and domination. That's what an empire does. It's always what an empire has done. And part of what an empire seeks to maintain is certain authorities. And so there will always be the oppressed in the midst of the empire. The empire feels threatened by the always possibility of losing power. And so one of its pure motivators is to keep the oppressed oppressed. So when I consider my role in the empire, I'm probably, statistically speaking, more likely to be in the, among the oppressed than among the rulers. So I hear Jesus's, his, his words about what the kingdom of God is like as an invitation to me. I want to be a part of a kingdom where there's opportunity, where there's movement and change, where there's community and neighborliness, where there's love, where there's service and sacrifice, influence and inspiration, forgiveness and blessing. As one of the minions, that's the part I want to be a part of. So on this Christ the King Sunday, we remember that Jesus is the truth made known in relationship, that the kingdom of God turns empire on its head. And the final thing, that we can't live in this kingdom with our own determination, but only by the grace of God. I was thinking of what story illustrates this most beautifully and succinctly, and I remembered the story of the prodigal son. You know this from Luke's Gospel, where the younger of the two sons asks his father for his inheritance so that he might go off into the world. Such a break with his father would be socially taboo to have declared his father dead so that he can explore what he really wants to explore. And the father grants that to him, and he goes off, and as you know, he squanders it through riotous living and comes to a place where he has nothing anymore. And so he hires himself out in one of the most abasing jobs there is, feeding the pigs. It's only there that he comes to his senses, remembering who he is. But he is very cognizant that he has hurt his father deeply, and he's ashamed of that. And so he makes a plan to return home, but not to ask for his seat back as the son but instead to just be among the servants. Since he had declared his father dead to him, he expects his father to declare his son dead to him in hopes that he might be simply hired back on. But as we know in this story, as he's approaching the father, as he's approaching home, he sees the father looking out for him now the son has rehearsed what he's going to say to his father again and again because it's going to be an emotionally intense time. And so he remembers 
his line of asking that he might just simply come and be a servant. But his father changes all of that up, and when he sees the son approaching, he throws the cloak on his shoulders, that is, that which is of the family. He puts the ring on his finger, which denotes that he is the son, and welcomes him back in to his home. That is the story of us in the kingdom. We have asked for our inheritance so that we might go off and have lively living. And at any moment, any one of us has come to the realization that we've squandered it all. And we hope to fall back into the mercy of God. Consider all of the ways that we have squandered it through all of the isms, racism, sexism, ageism, through our disregard for creation, for the quickness with which we use violence. There are so many ways that we have squandered what God has given to us. And so we might say, let me simply be your servant. And Jesus, in God's mercy, embraces us and says, I know that you've squandered it. I've seen all that. Nonetheless, I love you. You are my child. Come. And my friends, when we know that, God sees all the mess that we are and still loves us, we then have the courage to give up that mess and to try another way, the way of Jesus. We then have the courage to let ourselves be transformed in that love. And we find our efforts not solely focused on trying to get the splinter out of our neighbor's eye, but to letting go of the log that's in our own. And that's how the kingdom of God comes about through the transforming love of Jesus, the grace in our lives to know us in our worst way and to love us and pull us close so that that worst way won't have its way in us. I know of no other way that is so transforming. I know of no other relationship that I can trust with my full self. All of the yucky stuff, and all of the hopes for being the better self. I know of no other one than Jesus. And Jesus welcomes my trust in him and welcomes each of our trust in him so that redemption can take place. We can be made new and the kingdom of God can come about. As we remember that on Christ the King Sunday, the fact that Jesus is the truth made known in relationship with him. That the kingdom of God turns the empire on its head. It is only through the grace of God that we can be a part of it. As we remember those things, I invite Steve to come up and share his witness.
So I thought I'd start this morning with a little miracle I experienced this morning. Um, I'm lucky enough to be joined with my six-year-old son this morning, and for anyone who knows uh, teenager sleeping patterns, the fact that he got up by noon was quite the miracle. And then he was kind enough to join me this morning as well in church. So even though as I look around, I feel, see a few other teenagers here, so I guess I'm not the only one to experience this miracle this morning. Um, and by the way, my uh, college-age daughter was, forced to, was kind enough to join me at 8 o'clock this morning as well, which I think was even more miraculous. But uh, So I'm feeling very fortunate today. Um, so I'd like to start off with a little background about my family and our involvement at St. Stephen's. Um, so let me start with how my wife, Lily, and I um, you know, came to the Episcopal Church. Um, Willie was raised Catholic, and I was, you know, raised Methodist, so we had a lot of discussions after we got married, and we were thinking about starting a family, and what would be a good fit for us, and after a lot of discussions, you know, we attended, um, you know, several different religions, and uh, when we moved up here, we found a nice Episcopal church in uh, Somers, New York, and it just was a really nice fit for us, and then when we moved to Richfield in uh, 1998, we started joining St. Stephen's, and we've been coming here ever since, um, you know, since then, both of our children were baptized here, went to church school, um, and were both confirmed. You know, our daughter was an acolyte. My son is still an acolyte and uh, actively participates in GPL, the Global Philanthropy um, Leadership Program, which he's greatly enjoyed. And uh, it's just a fantastic program for the teenagers, and the, and the program has grown so much this year. So it's been very, very exciting. Um, as far as my wife, um, she's been a Sunday school teacher, she's been involved in several other programs, and currently serves on the Vestry um, Nominating Committee. Now, I'll be honest, um, me, on the other hand, I've had a kind of a rough start. Uh, Rob Kennard fired me as an usher, which I think was the first time that's ever happened. Uh, I won't get into why that happened, but uh, to say I was fired. Um, but I think I'm back in his good graces, so, which, which is fantastic. Rob's a great guy. Um, but, you know, to be honest, my involvement at the church has been pretty much pretty limited into the past year. Um, kids were doing a lot of sports. My primary role on the weekends was driving around, and I, I did my best to come to services on Sunday morning. Um, but, you know, now that the kids' sports are kind of behind us, uh, my daughter's in college, my son's a sophomore, high school sports are all during the week, um, and I'm three years away from being an empty nester, you know, I find that I'm spending a lot more time thinking about how do I spend my time and my financial resources? And last year about this time, you know, Whitney approached me about uh, serving as the assistant treasurer, you know, and my initial reaction was, you know, I just can't possibly have the time. You know, I commute to New York City, I have so little free time as it is, and I thought of about almost every other possible excuse why I, you know, why I couldn't do it. And plus, we meet on Monday nights, which is Monday night football, so just another, another good reason why I couldn't possibly get involved. Um, but, you know, after thinking through, you know, the only upside to having a really long commute to New York City is you have a lot of time to think about things. Um, and after really thinking it through, and, you know, everything that the church has meant to me and my family, um, you know, I basically came to the conclusion, if I'm not going to volunteer now, you know, when is the right time? So I decided to step up, join the vestry. I'm also fortunate enough this year, I'm serving as a mentor for Eric Carrera, who's going through the confirmation process. And uh, Lily and I just joined a really great small suppers group, which we've really enjoyed so far. Um, so, you know, bottom line, you know, after all of these years, you know, one of my favorite sayings when I play poker with one of my good friends, Jeffrey Morris, is, you know, when you push all your chips and you say you're all in, 
And I really feel like I'm all in now with my time commitment to St. Stephen's, and, it, and I really got a lot out of it this past year. Um, I now would like to briefly transition, um, you know, add a little bit more on what St. Stephen's has meant to us and how I think about giving um, to St. Stephen's. You know, I've already touched on a lot of the programs that we've been involved with over the years. Um, one other program I would like to touch on, which I think has been particularly meaningful to both my children and to my wife, is Chapel on the Green. It's a fantastic program where the kids and parents come here, they pre prepare meals, they drive up to New Haven, they serve food and part participate in a service on a chapel. And it's very, very powerful, and it's really, you know, an opportunity. You know, Ridgefield's a wonderful community, but, it, you know, as I try to remind my kids, it's make-believe. This is a wonderful place, but it's not the real world. And um, to have the opportunity to go out and see, you know, how, how others, you know, I'll be honest, how the real world is and um, help others, you know, it's, it's very powerful. Um, and then on the, the real mundane, when I sit here today, it's amazing. When I first came up to this church, you know, I just find it so powerful. It's such a beautiful building. Every time I walk into this, you know, stone structure and I sit down, you know, I just think about how St. Stephen's to me is just the quintessential New England church. And it's, it's a little goofy, but I just feel great when I sit here every day. Uh, or every day. I'm not here every day. But trying to be here every Sunday. Um, you know, it's, it's very powerful. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when I sit in the pew, you know, I, you know, I really feel at peace. And it's really about the only time during the week when I get away from all the distractions, the cell phone I put in my pocket, I try not to pull it out. Sometimes I cheat, but I'm probably writing some special note to myself of something great Whitney said, or I may be checking something else out. But it really is that one time where I can get away from everything that's going out there in the, in the, in the world. Um, and then I guess, you know, lastly, you know, serving on the vestry this past year has, you know, brought me a new level of appreciation of how much people really care about this church and how much time and effort is, is put forth by, you know, so many. So the good news is I'm almost done. Um, so let me just tell you a little bit how I thought about stewardship this year. Um, the neat thing is the kids get a little bit older. I've got a little more comfortable sharing a little bit more. How do we, you know, how do we spend our money? So I thought I'd get them a little bit more engaged this year. I came clean. I told them how much we spent on our vacations, how much I spent on my tennis and platform tennis. But I talked about the real mundane, how much we spend every month on the cable bill and the cell phone bill. And I told them my goal this year was to upper pledge 10%, which they're kids, they have no appreciation of what that really means. And I told them probably wasn't going to get a 10% pay increase this year. Never have, probably never will. So what does that mean? If I want to give an extra 10%, it's got to come from someplace else. So as any good dad, I thought I'd start with a suggestion of where I thought we could start. And I uh, threw out, do we really need this unlimited data blah, blah, blah thing? And you can imagine the reaction. And then my son was kind enough to say, that phone in the corner, are we paying some landline charge for that? I'm like, well, naturally we are. I'm like, I think we get rid of that. So that kind of ended the conversation. We clearly agreed to disagree on where we could, we could cut back. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we all came to the same conclusion that we were going to do our best to try to in increase our pledge. Um, so in, in, in closing... St. Stephen's means, you know, different things to different people. But, I, you know, I think we can all agree that St. Stephen's plays, a, you know, a very important role in our lives, or we wouldn't be all, all be here today, and all the good that the church does in the Richfield community. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I give the St. Stephen's for many reasons, you know, from the mundane of paying the utility bills, 
you know, to maintain this beautiful building, but more importantly, so that we can continue the programs and the mission work that St. Stephen's has become known for. So thank you today for the opportunity to share with you what St. Stephen's means to me and my family. And I'm hopeful together, whether through volunteering our time and talents to contributing to the stewardship campaign, St. Stephen's will continue to thrive for future generations. Thank you.